0: Welcome. It's Jeremy Allen Gould. I'm coming to you today to confirm between God and of man that in fact, the rumors that you have all heard are true. I started this podcast because I freaking love music, movies, and all things creative. In my life, I've been blessed to be around incredibly gifted artists, musicians, filmmakers, and actors, and everyone in between. This is a place to hear their stories. If you'd like, add me on Instagram and Facebook at the Rumors Are True cast. With that said, the rumors are definitely true. True, This is the latest episode of the Rumors Are True podcast. Today I welcome my dear friend Josh Silverberg. You know Josh from the band Edison Glass as well as his solo project Silverberg. Um, Josh and I go way back um, when I used to book Edison Glass back in the day. Awesome conversation. It's an incredible story that I hope you enjoy. Um, Had me in tears as you can tell if you listen to the episode. What a powerful, powerful episode. I hope you really enjoy this latest episode with Josh Silverburton. Josh, it's so good to see you, man. Thanks so much for coming on my podcast, man. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Super stoked. Awesome, man. So tell me. What is new in your life? It's been a while since we've seen each other, so uh,
1: tell me what's new in your life, man. What's new in my life? That's Since we've not talked in so long, there's been a lot kind of since the Edison Glass days. Um, So I'm not sure where you want me to start, but do you want me to start like... You just tell me what's going on in your life, buddy. Well, what's currently new is I've been on tour with Brandon Lake, um, but not doing music, so that's very interesting. Very cool. Yeah. What,
0: uh, what do you got? Where are you living at? I know you had mentioned Nashville, but yeah, kind of what, how's the, how's the, the
1: life for you there? Um, I've been in Nashville the last 13, 14 years. It's been awesome. I absolutely love it. Yeah. That, that's sweet, man. Very cool. Yeah.
0: Um, so let's talk uh, about how you and I f- uh, first met. I know we kind of mentioned it. Uh, I was booking shows in Wichita kansas area and i booked edison glass and the reason why i booked edison glass is i don't know why i booked them, but somebody <laughs> wrote me and i said yeah i'll let this band play and i vividly remember you guys getting on stage and blowing my brains off like it was insane it was unbelievable i'll never forget it and so any other time i got an email from you guys i just said hell yes let's do it, let's go and uh, yeah, I got I got to book you probably I don't know I would say three to five times at least. And um, specifically, I was uh, you and I were talking about an MXPX show I booked, and you guys happened to hit me up, and I was like, this would be great direct support. So definitely remember the good times and all the times you you guys played my shows, and man, you guys just blew my mind for real.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. That's it's just like all these fun memories are like blasting back in my mind right now. And definitely with help, like from promoters like you, like we couldn't survive. So on the behalf of the whole band, we say thank you for having us. <laughs> well, thank you, you for know, ruling. I, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Cause like there's, there's all these aspects of why bands are successful and like what makes it. And as far as like image and like marketing and all of that goes, we were on the negative side of the scale. <laughs> like I just remember, on shows like yours, like people are doing their makeup in the back and getting yep. everything. Like you know, and everyone proper. Had this yep. Thing. You know, like it was part of the scene. You had like the shwoopy hair. You had the. Yeah. You know, you had all the stuff. The DP is we would roll out of our bus like in shorts and flip flops yep. and like I don't know we just were so clueless to that you know like being maybe a little isolated from Long Island like all of us grew up in Long Island so like we kind of you know we're like friends or friends of friends with like Taking Back Sunday and sure. you know like all the bands um, as tall as lions oh yeah you know? i picked them a couple times like so a lot of like great incredible acts but they too didn't care a whole lot about style yeah you know it wasn't really kind of the thing so we'd show up and people would look at us they would be like cool like are you excited to see the band play and we're like yeah we are the band <laughs> <You know? laughs> and they're like no you're not and That's then we'd awesome. play and then like i love going to these festivals and we kind of We were a little probably stuck up and arrogant and all that stuff. Mm. You know, we kind of prided ourselves that we looked totally crappy and not cool and that we just got up and really knew our instruments. Yeah. So we were kind of like music school nerds. So then um, we kind of liked showing up, kind of blending in like in festivals with all these kind of like super cool bands and then playing and then kind of getting the respect. That's cool. Everybody. That's so cool. So that was fun. That's awesome,
0: man. Very, very cool. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about uh, Edison Glass here in, in a few minutes, but I wanted to know kind of um, tell me what it was like growing up for you. How, do, how was music involved in your life? And maybe some records and bands and maybe concerts that kind
1: of shaped who you are right now. So one of my earliest mu- musical memories is Probably I don't know. I had to be super young. So I sat on my dad's lap while he played drums at church. That's so cool. So here, and my dad's kind of like a hippie, you know, guy, even though he's a doctor now. But (laughs) he was like, both my mom and my dad were like, kind of like hippies in the late 70s. And they had this like, come to Jesus movement moment in the Jesus people movement. Yeah. You know, I know they kind of had a movie about that. Yeah. My parents were kind of on the tail end of that in Long Island, you know. So during that whole thing, and it was really cool to grow up in a house that the focus was creativity and music. They were always for it, you know. Like, so yeah, playing my dad playing drums and just me sitting there like thinking this is the coolest thing. So then I started, drums was my first instrument. You know, there's drum kits in the house, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I just kind of grew up in that and then started forming bands when I was really young. I was just super drawn to it. You know, in fifth grade, started forming bands, that didn't work out. Seventh grade, formed another band, got kicked out of that band. (laughs) You know. Um so interesting. Like, I don't know, I feel like the as I get older the more like the bad and traumatic things that happen in your life they shape you but usually for good yeah yeah. you know and I th- I think you have like a response it's like do you get stronger or do you just like give in yeah. to it you know yeah. it's like a choice life or death so you know it felt like death when you're in seventh <laughs> grade and they have a show and don't tell you, you Ooh, know? that is death <laughs> one of those things <laughs> and you and you're like gosh why aren't they like letting me know and, the, and then it was that moment though that was like fine i'm gonna start my own band yeah and that started the path of really all of it like as far as like the first that started a band i was called spontaneous combustion
0: was <laughs> <laughs> amazing
1: you know it's like just as good as a band like anal leakage was like a side project you know it's like what are we doing that's incredible yeah i love that, I love that. what um
0: what kind of music were you listening to um throughout the house when you're growing up and then obviously when you started writing these bands or starting yeah. these bands what were what, what was your music um i guess showcase like what kind of bands were you listening to
1: yeah so my mom had a lot of kind of 70s Influence music, you know, so anything you basically would hear on Woodstock, a lot of like Keith Green, mm-hmm. you know, um, a lot of that stuff, and like that was kind of my early childhood. But the things that started to shape like my wow, like falling in yeah. love with music, um, probably the first band was Nirvana, nice, um, and then. I remember for my, I think it was my 16th birthday, the first CD I got, my twin sister gave me the Benz Radiohead.
0: Oh, that's a game changer, man. That's a game changer. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, did you get to see any any bands when, at this time frame that, were, like, when you saw
1: them, you were like, ooh, I want to do that, or I want to be involved in that? Uh, truthfully, I wish I could remember the name of this band, but it it was a band that, Never got known, but I saw them on Cornerstone, and they completely blew my mind. And then they turned us on to the, a whole like slew of bands in their, in their kind of genre. Yeah. And then, so that was like, there's a band called Farrakit. Do you know that band? I don't think I do. I don't. Okay, so when you hear that, all our guitars will, will suddenly make sense. Okay, okay. You know, and I would say maybe another closely related band that more people know of would be like Minus the Bear. Oh, I love Minus the Bear. Yeah, so absolutely. So just unusual guitar, you know, like expression on the guitar instrument, kind of driving the whole thing, yeah. but it's not necessarily heavy. Sure. But it sure. kind of gave you the feeling of like hardcore, but it wasn't, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. So we loved like time signature changes, all that stuff. Yeah. So we threw in little bits of that, but a lot of these like progressive kind of guitar parts. I feel like at Edison Glass, we were just playing guitars and then we would write songs on top. Yeah. So we didn't really understand songwriting. It was just an excuse to have guitars being awesome and drums and bass being awesome
0: that's cool but i mean you it worked i mean it totally worked you know it, it yeah you know, looking back on it it was like a master class and it really i mean you guys just had your own thing going on and like you said you were maybe not understanding what you were doing but it it was working you know overall. yeah we
1: had a lot of fun pulled a lot of influence i'd say Farrakit was probably one of our biggest guitar influence wow i'm gonna have to check that band out because i don't remember that but that's that's cool Like, every, their tone, everything is just ridiculous. I think it's spelled like F-A-R-A-Q-U-E-T. Okay, Okay. cool.
0: I'll look it up. Yeah. I'll look it up. Sweet, man. Well, um, let's talk about the beginning of Edison Glass. Uh, I've always, you know, I've known you guys for a while, and I've never heard this story, so I'm really interested how you guys uh, came together. Yeah, so, like,
1: you know, out of the being kicked out of, Really, because I wasn't cool enough, that was the reason. <laughs> like all these guys are like the cool kids and I was like the one that didn't fit in. <laughs> so they they're like, Let's get rid of that weirdo. We don't understand him. And so I get kicked out. that I start my kind of own thing and I start it with uh one of my neighbors, and that's Joe Morin. So he's the drummer, current uh-huh. drummer of Edison Glass. <laughs> Love him. And and we like we jam on some stuff, and then we then we find a guitar player we really like who was in that band that I talked about an'al leakage, we were spontaneous combustion, <laughs> well, actually spontaneous combustion with some other youth group guys. Joe joined that very soon after, and then we get this other guitarist from anal leakage It's like so ridiculous, right. <laughs> <laughs> And we're super young, like maybe now we're in like 10th grade, you know, like 9th, 10th grade age. And then then we kind of start to be more official and we form Manifest. Okay. So then we're, we're going, we're going, we're going this thing called Manifest. Then I go to college. We're still doing it, but we change, we end up changing the name because we realize it's terrible. <laughs> um, because we spelt it M A N N A. Oh gosh. Yeah, but I don't want to actually. There's an actual rapper with this name. Yeah, I think I knew that. That's and right. he is awesome, so I don't want to like tell him that his name's horrible, but it is kind of horrible at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's like a little cheesy, but the idea is cool. Yeah. So, shout out to the rapper manifest. I actually know you, and we we wrote a song together, which was like <laughs> full circle. <laughs> You that know? is full circle. That's so cool. So that's hilarious. But we changed it. And then this is before we were signed. So we're like, I'm in high school. I'm in a college. The, all the rest of the band's still in high school. Then we start doing these showcases towards the end of college. They join me in college. And then there's a band called Edison, and that's why we add the glass.
0: Okay, okay.
1: Yeah. And then uh, we pick up the brother of the drummer... Like, along the way, before we were signed, we pick up the brother of the drummer. So it's two brothers, a neighbor, you know, James. So we're all, like, really, we're just, like, kind of grew up together. That's cool that you were all on the same
0: page musically, and, you know, that's pretty rare, you know, being that close, I guess, in proximity. That's really cool that you're all just, (laughs) you all just got got it at the same time, you know? That's cool. That's really cool.
1: If you don't mind, I'll tell this. This is kind of funny. So, you know, I'm living in this core. It's Isla Selvia Core, Corum, Long Island, New York. Kind of like It's kind of like lower, lower middle class suburbia um, in Long Island. And they, there's this new neighbors that move in. And I kind of hear like a little bit of banging, like a little bit of drums, right? A little bit of something. And then they're out playing roller hockey in the street. So this is Joe and his brother. And um, I just walk out there and I'm like, hey, guys, like, I heard some music. Do you want to play? Do you want to jam? Like, I'll bring over my amp. So I come this like the first day I just like say, hey, we're doing this. And then I go and bring over my amp and like we start jamming and then his dad like busts in kind of like what are you guys doing (laughs) like (laughs) like what is this like acid rock he calls it acid rock. (laughs) you know but we were just like you know doing our thing but it's just like hilarious like hit like joe's like telling him i didn't know this but he's like i freaked him out Mm. you know like this guy comes out of nowhere like he doesn't know me i don't know him but all i knew is play drums so it seems so perfect Oh yeah. my! You're my neighbor. We're doing That's this. That's hilarious. That's so cool. That's very,
0: very cool. Sweet man. Well, so how long uh, are you guys a band um, before Credential Recordings comes into the picture? Uh, obviously, you're playing local shows and writing songs. And I just was curi- curious, curious, kind of how that came into the into the fold, and and what what it was like when you guys were writing songs. Did you feel like you had something special?
1: Like looking back on it it feels like very magical very cool you know like we did definitely have a chemistry um and especially be- like i would say before we were signed in the early sign and then there's like the stress that kind of comes over the band once you get signed to have yeah. success
0: yeah
1: which i'm sure you probably hear from every person that you interview I hear it a lot (laughs) yeah so it starts off just like really a love affair with music you're just like this is awesome I love going to shows I love seeing bands I remember seeing Copeland and seeing May and seeing just incredible acts and you just stand there like wow this is you know and even hardcore like I remember we used to play with Norma Jean before they were Norma Jean Ludacris yeah, ludicrous, and I just thought they were the coolest. Yeah, like we, even though we weren't hard music, we would every time they came through, like we we'd be playing with them and Travail and like all these bands. Like we would just be in the scene, and we just loved it, just for playing music's sake. Yeah, and um, when you get signed, it just kind of turns in like it just gets weird, you know. It's muddy gets muddy. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah yeah um how did credential come to you guys did they see you play a show or uh, i guess how did how did that kind of come come into fruition yeah so i
1: definitely have to highlight and shout out chris york so which we recently in a way got reunited on the brandon lake tour because he manages um the artist that was out on tour with him ben hastings very cool yeah so he was on the tour bus and we just got to Throw down again, I got to tell him this, like, sometimes there's people in your life that are so critical, like timing, that open up the whole, like, door of music yeah. to you, like that are just, like, without this one person, you would not have a career. And I, I understand, like, God is in control of a lot of situations, but he actually, every miracle that has ever existed, humanity has partnered with. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you believe or not, but if from a Christian world, where you like look at even the death and resurrection of Jesus, humanity had to partner with, you know, all the prophets prophesying for 2,000 years about the specificness of what it was going to look like. Yeah. And then people actually had to crucify the guy, you know? Like yeah, absolutely. Someone had to put him in the grave, right? Yeah. So, like, even that miracle humanity partnered in yeah. yeah so the miracle of us getting into the music industry chris york was like the the moses you know like <laughs> he brought that's us the awesome. promised land that's so cool he grabbed this band in obscurity in long island and he heard a demo i think nathan Densler passed it to him. There's a few other labels that were sniffing. Yeah, around. So who, who was that? Who, who was that? What other labels? I the dancer is a producer, produced a lot of stuff um, kind of in that scene back okay. in the day. Um, a lot of like random stuff. And he, like we were talking to a bunch of different labels, some smaller indie labels. And he's okay. like, he's like, he wanted us to sign with Chris because he thought that would give us the best shot um to make it and he passed our stuff along and Chris just like freaked out and he flew out to see us Oh that's in, so cool. In Long Island we we were doing clubs, we were doing churches um just kind of everywhere you could ever play as like a high school band, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: So how long after you signed with Credential Do you start working on a Burn a Shiver Uh, Is that pretty quick Um, You know like when you signed Was it just like off to the
1: races Type of thing Uh, Maybe it took about a year to get into the studio But I would say the songs were A lot of the songs Half or more than half Were already written before we were signed And it was just kind of like Recording um, but it was definitely a dream to work with. So he worked with Brad Wood on that first one. Oh, record. man, I love him. Dude, he's so good. Was that your first choice? Were you like, we want to work with Brad Wood? No, it was all Chris's idea. He got it, you know, so he connected us with someone who would get the sound and wouldn't, like, transform us into something we weren't, you know, yeah. and um, we were super young and green at that time. Um, we were making our record, and in fact, around that time, One Republic was making their first record in L.A. We were both in L.A., and Ryan Tenner reaches out. He emails me to meet up during that time, and I never got back to him. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> One of my regrets.
0: I Maybe you should email him back now. <laughs> uh, Hey, I'm like, still
1: here. Strangely enough i've started working with people in his outside circle recently oh nice so i never wanted to like approach him again you know i felt like it was if it was ever going to come around it was going to come around because of my work not because i know him
0: oh that's cool that's fair yeah that's,
1: that's that makes sense
0: um, let's talk a little bit about A Burn and shiver. Shiver. Um, maybe some thoughts uh, from that time. I know you said probably half the, half the songs were written at that point, but do you, tell me about the process for that. How was that? Do you remember fond times of it? Do you remember it being hard? Like Just kind of tell me what, what your thoughts on it.
1: So we drove down to basically we were staying somewhere on Laurel Canyon, finding par- places to park, staying in a a half bus. Oh, wow. And when I say this, not half a school bus. It's like a mini bus, so it's a little bit bigger than half a school bus. Um, I'm trying to like... And we converted it to have bunks. That's awesome. Um, totally not up to any code. <laughs> probably terrible. Probably like fumes getting in. You know, like... Yeah. Essentially, it was probably a death trap. I don't... We are yeah. just lucky to be alive <laughs> you know like we did it all ourselves there was sure. not a manual or youtube at this time yeah yeah you know really mountain the bass player mountain high 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 singer um incredible bass player incredible yeah. songwriter love, just love mountain. everybody in the band was crazy talented and really gifted um and just like what a personality like mountain he could have been a star. Like, it's just one of those things you don't like know why did not happen, but um, he was as good or good as than anyone in the scene, Yeah, you know, like yeah. he just was that good and um, kind of had like a circus survive ish. Coheed. Yeah, I totally agree. Thing going on. Um, just really unique vocal and like exceptional performer. Just Awesome, I I can't speak highly enough about yeah. him. Um, and uh, so we were staying there. It's pretty rough. It was like <laughs> we were just glorified bums, but we were living the dream. <laughs> so it's like a catch twenty two. Yeah, oh yeah. You walk in in the morning, and you're like, "Cool, this is Brad Wood. This is Brad Wood's house. This is his back studio." You know, like he's gracious letting us use his shower because we have no place to shower. You know, like yeah. um, And then he, I think he stopped letting us use his shower as we were making it ridiculously gross. So (laughs) he's like, "Uh, this is probably a bad idea."
0: (laughs) Oh my, oh my, yeah. Uh, Um. How? Uh, what was Brad? I mean, having worked with how was it to work with Brad Wood? Number one, and did he like the record?
1: Was he into it? He was into it. He's very supportive. I wish I could do it again. And and the one thing I would maybe speak to, if there's like bands who are maybe in the phase of making your first record, um, I think I was so overcome with like insecurity and fear mm. that I couldn't enjoy enjoy it or even give what I felt was authentic performances. I end up, and a lot of it, loving the demos that we did more than our first record. Interesting. Um, and not because recording was bad, but just because I, me personally, I couldn't give, I was scared of messing up. So it was like I wouldn't give maybe the intensity or the, uh, the authentic stuff that made the demos kind of exciting. Yeah. And, and we were all excited about it. Um, it was like I wanted to like maybe sing perfect, or I was trying to imitate something I wasn't, and I don't know that he knew us enough. And I think there were sometimes some elements that he would pull in from our demo recordings, um, just because they weren't, we couldn't beat them when we tried to record. I, got you. I uh, got you, but like, I wouldn't know. You don't know. You don't know this, and I didn't know this till later. You know, how fear can actually blind your vision, Mm -hmm. you know, like, but you don't know if you're like, if you're in bondage to it, you don't even know that there's like a real freedom from it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, man. Um, When you finally heard the final mix, I know you said you kind of preferred the demos, but what were your thoughts? What did you when you popped it in for the CD the CD player for the first time, or whatever you listened to it on the on the mains in the studio? What, what were your thoughts? Were you like, "Holy crap, this is amazing"? Or were you just like, "Yeah." What were your thoughts like that?
1: Okay, so my honest thoughts, were I didn't like it, was my honest thoughts. You know, I just there's things about it and like so part part of that would be insecurity okay um but then part of that would be my the artistic vision and i didn't i was too reserved enough maybe because of this fear that i was talking about um that i i was afraid to speak up interesting you know or maybe i would but only two band guys and we would argue But I would never like in the producer while it's happening. Put
0: your two cents in.
1: Yeah. I just thought, okay, I'm just going to do whatever this guy says because he's the man. He's the producer. Yeah. You know, and he thrives on collaboration. Yeah. And now that I'm a producer, I like imagining, I'm imagining producing someone who never says anything to me. And how awkward that would be on his side. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. I totally get what you're saying. There's one band that I've, from producing indie, they loved what I was doing, but they would never give feedback. And I would, at the end of the day, I would feel so weird. Mm. I'd be like, do they hate this? Do they love this? And then they would show up the next day like, man, we really love how this is turning out. And I'd be like, I would never know this. Do you think i know
0: you said it's insecurity but do you think it was in any sort of intimidation of sorts or like you know not that i mean Bradwood, what pete yorn sunny Day real estate like these you know incredible artists and bands what do you think at the time were you like i don't know do you think that had anything to do with
1: it well absolutely intimidation but you're intimidated but also intimidated being intimidated is kind of a mindset slash like belief spirit it's like Intimidation—that is like God hasn't given you spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and a sound mind. So, it like it—it's actually rooted in something. But actually, I was intimidated 100%. First record, the pressure of that from the label—they don't mean it. Chris York doesn't mean it. He is not putting that on us. But it's like a lot's riding on this. Yeah, absolutely. They spend. Probably they drop a hundred grand on our first record. Holy crap! I know it's insane.
0: That's a huge budget. My God. Yeah, that's cool though. I mean, that's amazing.
1: But to me, it didn't sound like it. And then our next one was probably less budget, but it sounded like a hundred grand. So totally. The guy that did Tom is fiction, and that's Nathan Dantzler. Okay. Um, so I'm going to shout. He's another key player. He's the one that. Passed our stuff originally to Chris York. Yeah. But he didn't get the production job the first go. Which, now that I see that as a producer, I'm like, whoa, that's a little foul. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, but I kind of get it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, Brad Wood's coming off of the big Me Without You record. You know, like, yeah. he's coming off all this stuff, never mind the huge bands that you recognize. Like, yeah. obviously he's known for those smashing pumpkins was another one yeah. you mentioned. You know, like just on and on, um, the guy knows what's up in this realm. And um but when we worked with uh, Nathan Dansler, sonically I felt like at least how I feel, like he understood or like Absolutely. what I wanted to sound like. Absolutely you know so we came across a little maybe too unpolished on our first record uninspired but people will listen to that and they don't think that yeah you know this is just me knowing the as an artist like the 10 or 15% more that I wanted it to be something yeah no i get you i get you yeah um so
0: record comes out you hit the uh, ground running touring wise. How does that go? I I, I feel like I probably met you guys in that time frame, is my guess. Yeah. Um. You know, kind of. How was the touring for you? Was it a Was it a struggle? Was it successful? Did you get to tour with anyone cool? Like, how? Kind of how, how how was that? Let's just talk about that.
1: All right. I'm going to give you my highs and lows. I'm going to give you the my favorite experience and my least favorite, which is hysterical. Okay. And like, I just think people would enjoy. Kind of knowing the crap that we went through. I bet. I, I believe it. I believe it. So, you know, I yeah. At this point, I'm the only married guy, and we sign, and I go on my honeymoon. Oh, you know, like God. that's the timing. You know, and we're young and dumb. I'm 24. Everyone else is like, Mountain has to sign because he's not 18 yet. That's so hilarious. he's just he has to sign like a. It's not a prenup, but it's like this separate where his parents signed for him. That's hilarious. You know, Um and he finishes high school early. You know, it's it's insane what we did, Um, thinking about it. Like, like as an adult, I don't know that I would let my kid yep. do this. Yep. You know, I have an 11-year-old. It's like, am I yeah. going to let her go on tour in, in six years? Yeah, no. Like sign for her. Go here. You go. Go on tour. Um, <laughs> no, but we do live in a different time now. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> that's that's hilarious. crazy. I know it is anyway. nuts. Anyway, all right. So my highlights absolutely May. Massive highlight to tour with them. Love those guys. Um, Blindside, absolutely. Amazing. Like they were probably my in my top two bands like on and off my favorite band period would mm-hmm. be blindside like christian the craziest singer and screamer like the guitars the drums just everything on lockdown. Mm. so they were so creative so amazing The and on tour both of these bands were like the nicest most yeah. hospitable kindest like no pride, no arrogance, showing us the ropes, like pushing our amps in, you know, like they were serving That's us, cool. you know, and they taught us like how to be just like good people. Yeah. Um So that was the highs for sure. Um There are other bands that in that process that we love touring with, Sun Bears, love you know, them. like when we do our own tours, there are more like bands that we'd bro down with that we love, um, had a lot of cool of those yeah. experiences. And um, But the I would say the like really crappy, crappy, terrible <laughs> moments were these two that stand out as kind of ridiculous. One of our first tours, um, and mind you, the label was giving us tour support, We were getting no money from the door or the draw or the anything. Mm -hmm. But we were supporting, I think this was the Supertones Farewell Tour. Oh, wow. uh, With Reese Roper. Okay. And then on the off days, it would be us and Reese Roper. Okay. So what really happened was the Supertones Farewell Tour didn't know we were a part of their tour, But because we were actually on the Reese Roper tour, Reese would let us kind of play a song or two in their set. Oh wow. But they would have to clear it with the venue in the beginning of each show. (laughs) Okay, so that's like the mechanics. We didn't know this. We just thought we were on the tour. That's hysterical. No one actually knew this until we got there. But they were, they, Reese loved us so much that he was working us into this thing that's all awesome. right but our two songs was actually the sound check of Reese Roper like our two songs on the big tour right that our label was paying all this money to support in because we we're getting in front of a few thousand people or whatever it was and one of them um one of those shows this I think it's called Jesus Freak Hideout comes out to review our live show. And they review us by saying, This is the worst live band we have ever seen. (sighs) Oh my God. And the reason why, and I don't fault them for this, it's because we do two songs. So, and Josh and I, Mountain and I, trade off. The first song I'm singing lead on, and he's doing backups. My mic's not even on. Mm. You know, nothing is on. All you hear is high harmonies, like, blasting away. Everything is wrong. So I understand why he's saying we're terrible, because it must have sounded ridiculous. Yeah, no, that like, makes sense. It probably didn't even sound like music. Yeah. Like, imagine listening to a song. All you hear is some guy screaming on and off, and then <laughs> random music coming at you. Like, maybe the guitar is not on, and it's just, like, bass the snares like coming in and out, they're getting the snare sound, you know? Yeah. It's like, unbelievable. It probably sounded like total, like, I don't even know, like play school music. Like, I don't even yeah. know what's coming at me. Yeah. So I, I get it. And especially in that space, they're like used to like really polished, like, yeah. We camp and yeah. all third day. And like, this is what you're hearing. And like, even like Reese Roper and like, Supertones, man, they, are, they got it down. Like the musicianship, everything is super tight. The sound is tight. Everything's dialed. So they're literally dialing in the sound as we're playing, you know? And yeah, so that was funny. We we wanted to print shirts. We didn't. This was maybe one of my regrets as a slogan, like Edison Glass, worst live band I've ever seen. <laughs> as like the thing because it was so opposite what we knew of ourselves. Unbelievable. Yeah. How did that like I know I know you say that
0: you understand where they're coming from, but how did that make you feel? I mean I, I'm just curious, like would that was
1: that devastating to read that? We laughed. We could not stop laughing. Because oh. you knew it wasn't true. Yeah, we were yeah. S- probably on the other end, a little prideful and arrogant about our performance probably more than we deserved you know what i mean but i think it's because pretty much every band we would tour with would just go on and on and watch us we were like a band's fan yeah so like our fans were only bands a band yeah yeah if the girls came it was because they were the girlfriends of the guys in the bands yeah We didn't have girl fans. (laughs) (laughs) And if you don't have girl fans, you are not going to make it in music. Yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately. So, like, Copeland figured it out. Yep. Oh, yeah. Like, do a little swoony swoon, and you got it made. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we had... We didn't even think about girls. We were just like, check out this guitar part. Yeah, let's write a ripping song. Yeah. 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 So
0: touring highs and lows you know you're getting your feet wet um when do you start working on time is fiction love this record not that i don't love the first one but time is fiction is just oh man like you said there's a a massive difference between the records absolutely love it i love production on it i love the artwork everything about it is you know, top notch. So yeah, let's talk about that record and kind of your thoughts on that. And I know you've kind of talked about it a little bit, but
1: yeah, give me, let's go a little more into it. Um, So second time around, you kind of learn, we spent like maybe two or two years or so on the road. Um, a lot of these songs were written in between. There might've been a couple that were like leftover from the early phases that made it. Um And we grew as a band, um, and getting with the right producer really. And man, I don't not wrong, but I think getting with a producer that one, we were out of our shells more, so we could communicate what we wanted. Yes. So you can't. I mean, I'm not putting down Brad at all because sure, he's no, I get it. Legit, yeah. he was just working with very, very. We were super insecure and we didn't know what was up and down we never been in the studio yeah we never did anything we only recorded ourselves yeah so but then working with someone um and being at the time where we can communicate was so helpful to like cast our vision and then growing and maturing as a band from that point too so there's there's all that going into it um Mm -hmm man James I'm gonna talk about let go so mm. James wrote mm. let go he only wrote a few songs period, but when he did it was like a banger ridiculous <laughs> and it's like I th- even think about that song today like if I was gonna send a song to anybody, I send them the let yep. go video hundred percent I agree completely and it still works like now like even the fact that it's two and a half minutes that's like on point right now like that's like top trend like you want to make a song it's like two and a half minutes now yeah yeah you want it to be short um and it's just got this weird arrangement it's got gang vocals it's just like it doesn't it didn't have what was on trend necessarily it was just pulling from a lot of different places and it kind of fit a little bit of indie rock in the time frame and and i can see why we weren't commercially successful because in the christian market we were definitely not christian enough and the mainstream market secular we were not secular enough um and even w- during the touring process if um we wanted to tour with one of our fans that kind of bands that we love that crossed into the mainstream space and at this point, we already toured with May. We're pulling in cities. Like, we're doing, we're on our way up. We're probably, we're not longer a baby band. Maybe we're like on a mid level band at this yeah. point. And they didn't want us on tour because they said we were too Christian. So, like, the mainstream people are saying you're too Christian and they didn't want that because that was like a bad image, whatever. And then, The Christian people are like, yeah, but don't you play clubs all the time? And like, I don't know if we want you a part of like, you're definitely not. You can't (laughs) be in our circle here. So we found ourselves in this middle zone. So it just became a. so we had no Christian love, no Christian radio, no, no benefit of being in a Christian band. So we stopped playing churches. We're only playing clubs. And then we had the mainstream side, like, kind of keeping us out because they thought we were a Christian band. Yeah. Unbelievable. So that kind of hurt us. And I think it was working so hard. And to show you kind of what we were doing, even when we were doing well, like, I remember being on the bus, not getting fast food, but eating tuna fish out of a can. (laughs) Like, this was the level that we lived at. You know, people would come up thinking like we made it big. Yeah. But it's like, dude, we are bums. Yeah. You know, like the other guys, yeah, they would kind of splurge and get the happy meal, right? They would splurge (laughs) and get McDonald's or whatever. I couldn't because I was married. So, Mikhail was on tour with me for some of it. And here we are, literally breaking tuna fish, tuna cans cranking them out while they're going in, getting fast food. <laughs> oh my know? God. This is, this is like how we lived, you know, but I didn't think about it any other yeah. way. You yeah. know, like I was just like, I was happy we we're getting to do what we love.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, when you finally heard the record done, I want to know your thoughts. You know, obviously it seems like you loved grav- it, gravitated to this record. So yeah,
1: loved it was obsessed with it, was so happy with it, you know, um, was very proud of it. um, And I could not believe the drum sounds that Nathan Dantzler got. Like, to this day, I'll pull back songs and go, I can't find a snare that I like better, except for maybe on that one Jeff Buckley song, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I'm just like, what the heck? This is crazy. I can't believe I get to be a part of this sonic unbelievable you know um did he mix yeah, it just, too or who mixed he it? Mixed it? he mixed it it sounds to...
0: unbelievable like man yeah that record's like
1: he's a gnarly. genius he's a mastering engineer now so i'll just do a shout out for any people looking to get mastering like this guy is genius and his his mastering place is called the hit lab cool very cool yeah so
0: that record comes out how what's the reception like for you guys i know you said you're pigeonholed. you're you know on the right and the left it's not you know there's it's just a gray area for you the record comes out you hit the road you see how, how is it for you are, are you seeing success or are you just just you know coasting by how's that going for you
1: on a fan level and on a touring level it felt like it was always a steady climb you know because we play a lot of the cities again and then more people come people are singing your songs like i remember the first time that happened in amarillo and there's a room for people singing your songs you're like is this real <laughs> you know <laughs> that's so like cool. we like look at each other and for some reason in amarillo like at their local like record store we were number 1 that's crazy that's like awesome. for whatever reason like we were the cool band of the city. Like it caught on. Maybe the cool kid was like, This is my favorite. And everyone's like, You're right, this is our favorite. And we like became like a thing in that city for some That's reason. Cool. That's right. Texas. man. Gotta love Texas. So I love Texas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
0: so touring's going on, you've got this new record. Does does the wheel do the wheels start falling off? Is that kind of what uh, I guess? The wheels just tell me. start
1: falling off when it feels like, and it's not necessarily intentional. But whenever we meet with the label marketing people, they always say you're not selling enough records, you don't have a radio single, you know. And then they're just telling us what's going on, but we internalize it as you're a failure,
0: mm.
1: like it's your fault. You know, it's like, whatever you're doing is not good. Yeah. You know, and we were never in the right system for the band. No band has ever succeeded in our lane in what we were in. Mm -hmm. You know, like, they would have on mainstream labels, they would have maybe on Tooth and Nail, that was more mainstream. Mm -hmm. But no band ever had success inside a Christian label, doing non-Christian music. No, you're right. In the style. There's not one. There's not one success story unless they were blatantly Christian and then were like Switchfoot, They did well or decent and then crossed over. Yeah. Because yeah. they had mainstream appeal. Yeah. But we weren't Christian enough to do the Christian thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, not as believers, but as styles yeah yeah you know what i mean no Um, i totally get it yeah yeah um you mentioned so that depression kind of weighed down and then oh yeah internally it became unhealthy we were touring so much physically emotionally mental health yeah all that was really hitting us so you know one of the band members ended up saying this is too much i can't do it Mm -hmm. and we really were family um and then that guy was kind of in and out. We had like someone fill in for a little while drums and it just wasn't the same. And then, and then when the guitar players kind of said the same thing, we we're like, we can't do it. Like yeah. it's kind of like all or none. Like there's something, we knew that there's something special about the group of people. Yeah. You know, and then there's like internal tension dynamics between Mountain and I or the band and I which just kind of happens as you go sure just being young and dumb yeah so then these things are kind of like you know you kind of like you're wrestling with that being not healthy so then when we told our label and our manager yeah we can't tour we're not writing then they just kind of drop in a way slowly started dropping off but There was never ever end, or even our manager at that time was like getting us meetings with new booking agents. Like always, people around us always believed in us, Mm -hmm. but it just became unhealthy. No, I get it. I get it. So we stopped. Um, Take a step back for one second. You
0: mentioned Tooth and Nail. Um, Was there any other? I I know you said you're you guys were a band's band. You were the bands loved you. Was there any talk with any other labels and any labels? Maybe say, hey, you know, like a major label or something like yes. that. Like, what,
1: what, what was their talk? Yeah. So that's a very insightful question. Columbia Records at one time came by, gave our CD to Rick Rubin. Whoa. Like they were this close to buying us out of our deal. Um, yeah. That's unbelievable. And came out to a show in Chicago and it was actually a similar thing. So we were oh, we were supporting two other acts. I don't remember who they were, but we we're playing like the Bee Kitchen or like some place yeah. in Chicago that's pretty great. And they started us before they opened the doors. Nobody was in the room, and totally killed the vibe. That sucks, you know. And then like as we're finishing people are coming in you know and that a this anr guy was a main columbia A&R who signed lots of people including like hubas think and different people unbelievable and then he was go if he liked us he was signing us that was the deciding factor and he he saw us and he just said i believe in you i just think you need a little bit more time on tour and we were like, "No, we don't. We've been touring for two and a half years. <laughs> it was the same thing. like like, our sound check was while we're playing. Like it was like, I don't know who made us go on. It was mm. so dumb, you know, but if we had someone there, um, but really, when I look back, I'm like, "That was the grace of God, because if we were falling apart already, yeah, and we got thrust into that we could have ended up like the bad side of what happens to mental health and people and they die in their sleep because they take the drugs and they get lost. And you know what I mean? You just, it's a downward spiral. So if everything intensified with what happened with our band, we could have lost people easily. Yeah,
0: no, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I from an out, outside perspective and someone who booked you guys, I wanted to see you guys explode. Like, you know, when you mentioned, they said you didn't have a single, let is a single cold conditions, a single, like those are singles. And if I heard it on the radio, I would have turned it up. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it is what it is and things happen, you know, the way they needed to, but it's just like, when you, my, like myself, promote thousands and thousands of bands, and there's very few that you just, individually remember that you're like, man, I, I I, would go to bat for that band. That's You guys were one of those bands for me. I just like, man, I just, I'm glad things happened the way they did, but it would have been nice to see you guys just crush it, like completely crush it.
1: Well, what you just said was like so beautiful and so awesome. I'm going to like s- take that snapshot of that clip and just – Play it for myself whenever I'm Aww. not good. <laughs> Make a t-shirt.
0: Make a t-shirt of it.
1: <laughs> no, like, I'll, I'll do that. I'm going to play it. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, man. Absolutely.
0: So Edison Glass ends. Um, you know, you guys kind of go your separate ways. And then you start to dabble in production, obviously. And obviously you learned a few tricks of the trade over the years, you know, in the studio. So... What's that like for you? Uh, How do things go for you? Are some of the bands maybe you worked with and and, and songwriting wise, you started writing songs with people. So kind of tell me how those the last few years after Edison started and and let's go on there.
1: Okay. So again, I have to mention Chris York. So even though the band breaks up, he never gives up on me. Oh. And so I moved to Nashville and he's the one that starts getting me writing with his bands. And I end up turning in a demo. That's the first. They like it so much. And this is a band kind of like the next caliber up as far as like professionalism. So it's like a band on Sparrow. um, And like Ed Cash is, if you're familiar with him, who's done a lot of like the Chris Mm Tomlins. You know, he's just like super legit in that space. Um, I end up turning in a song and they like the production on it and they're like hey do you want to do this and we want to pay you i'm like so <laughs> shocked that they want to pay me money to music i love that you know, i'm like what yes i will take whatever you give me i will do this this is crazy it's like in the first two weeks of me moving to nashville you know so my wife and i like we're thumb we have a makeshift studio in the basement we're thumbtacking a sheet to the ceiling because there's no ceiling in the basement you know it's like open rafters just like a sheet a black sheet like this is how we're wow. doing it you know and i record like the first my first kind of like label production mm. you know and it gets like sent off to like a real mixer or whatever wow. but, you know that that's a band called luminate on sparrow and um and that gets me in the circle so then i start writing And it just grows very quickly, and I just find a knack for it. And mind you, I started doing internships in high school to record my own band. Okay. You know, Because we paid to record our first single, um, like what is Spontaneous Combustion or whatever it was. And um, I couldn't afford to do another song. So I'm like, I got to learn how to do it. So then I worked for the studio, and on the off hours, they let me record my own band. So, and those demos is what got gets us signed, you know? Cool. So that's kind of the, so I I did recording the whole time in college, in high school, the whole time. And then, so when it moved to here, it was kind of natural to record bands. So I record indie bands It helped people knew Edison glass. So I'd, you know, indie bands would hit me up and then this other space CCM start growing there. And that grows for about five to seven years. Till I'm working with everyone. Newsboys, Audio Adrenaline, Michael W. Smith. Holy crap. Harry joe Like, That's all nuts. the people. <laughs> you know? Um, so That's I end insane. up working with all the people. And then around 2016, it's, like, interesting. Like, there's almost a hard stop on CCM. Yeah. And then these two things open up for me. TV, film, music. And... Uh, kind of like worship music, which is different than CCM. Um, It's just like, it's a different group. It's a different people. Um, So it's like these guys in California, Jesus culture, these kind of like, yeah, yeah, they're off the grid. Now it's the same Chris York. I cannot believe this. I can, but like he sends me to write with Jesus culture. They didn't send people yet. um, But they just sign with Capital or Universal or however that works. They're major. Yeah, Jesus yeah. culture is on the way, and Chris is so smart about all this. He's like, I don't want to send them the like fancy schmancy hit songwriters. I want to send them this band guy who kind of gets it. Yeah, you know, because he knows my history, and that's kind of what Jesus culture were. They're very authentic. You know, they didn't. They yeah, weren't yeah. CC ccmized or whatever that yeah no i get it i get it and we hit it off and then you know chris kilala ends up being one of my best friends and then we write like miracles in the river fears like my first week we end up writing some of the most to this day successful jesus culture songs that's so cool dude and then jeremy is producing it and you must oh yeah i know jeremy i love jeremy so jeremy Kills it, crushes it, out of the park, you know, so much so ahead of his time, you know, he produces the song called In the River and then Coldplay comes out with this song, but then In the River comes out next. Everyone thinks, you know, like Jeremy and the guitar players and all the people are botting off Coldplay, but we weren't. We They just happened to do something that sounds so similar but we were on the same wavelength, like creative, creativity, like creatively, um, and it was so cool, where Christian music was actually on the head, you yeah. know, like on the yeah. forefront, doing things alongside of really like the trends of music. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Um, I would put Sun Bears in that camp. I would put like On Othello and all these yep. bands that were like really ahead of their time and doing things ahead yeah you know yeah Um, there's a lot of cool like in our scene that like would be in that space so that happens and then tv film opens up that's so cool you know writing for tv film writing specifically for commercials brands but like in these like kind of quirky indie bands that get licensed Mm -hmm. you know um, so that kind of opens up, and then continues to grow. And then um, um, I start a sync company called Savage Sync House because of the success, kind of of sync, for about so many years. In about 2020, I start this company. Yeah. Um, and I start really at this point, I'm looking for the next generation of producers. That's so cool. You know, some sign. I start signing producers. I sign, you know, first producer Max Corwin, who's now a co-owner in the company. That's awesome. Yeah, and he's ruling now. He went from, you know, like being a great producer but not knowing a whole lot about sync, to then being connected and killing it now. It's crazy. Yeah.
0: What uh, what's the name some of the commercials that you've had some of your stuff in? I'm
1: just out of curiosity. So I've been in big budget movies like Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, wow. Ocean's A, Emoji Movie, you know. um, My first trailer was The Free State of Jones. Oh, wow. Yeah, with Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. And we didn't know we were getting that trailer, so the artist I wrote that with, her name's Ruel. Okay. Um, And she ends up becoming one of the most sync artists in all of music that's nuts yeah so in the last five years she's been in the top 10 billboard for synced artists that's so um, cool. every year that's you know not always number one but she's in the top 10 yeah you know, he's legit that's right um, dude and we kind of like kind of grew into this kind of together sam tenez another artist Rayel. like this is all kind of happening and so then, like, as far as, like, advertising and commercials go, all of them, like, PlayStation, Samsung, you know, like, Fortnite, you know, on and on and on and on, hundreds of TV shows, Grey's Anatomy, Orange is Jeez. the New Black, like, all of it, you know, like, just on and on and on, like, I I won't remember them all, but, like, hundreds yeah. of them. That's yeah, that's so
0: cool, dude. That's amazing. I'm so, so happy
1: for you. I'm very much behind the scenes, and then I became singing again, um, in 2016, you know, so like I've gotten some more noticeable vocals on shows like The Good Doctor, you know, and like some of these true crime shows and that's stuff. That's so dope, dude. Yeah, that's sick. So you can you can look up that it's. I'm not necessarily putting it out like like Edison Glass was an expression of my mm-hmm. artistry, the TV film. Is still an expression of my artistry, but it's also like I'm doing this to serve the purpose of they need a song for this. So, I'm, that's, yeah, that's all right, buddy. So, yeah, totally. Some of it is a percentage of that. Yeah. You know, some of it I'm like, I love every lyric and melody and I love the guitar part and I love this. Yeah. And some of it is like, I'm actually just doing this because it kind of needs it. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't have
0: to eat uh, tuna fish on a bus anymore.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But getting to do music—it's amazing, a miracle, dude. Absolutely,
0: I'm so stoked for you. I love hearing this. Like, you know, I—I just think it's—you know—I get to talk to a lot of people, and I love that you're being successful and doing something that you love and that you can honor God with. And like, I think it's so cool. I'm so stoked for you and it's just man it's just awesome to see on the other side of things how you're in a different avenue of your life and it's just you know it's it's god obviously you know he's he's kind of opened those doors for you which is cool so
1: um we're open up and we don't have a lot of time yeah oh absolutely it would be super remiss to not
0: cover the near death experience yes yeah, so i was going to i was going to bring that up next yeah tell me so i was didn't know about this. So you tell me kind of the story. Okay,
1: so the the condensed story is I got really bad COVID. So I got it so bad that your organs shut down and you can't move. And the ICU doctor comes in like, so black spots are showing up medically Mm. in the scan. Your lungs are filled with the pneumonia. You can't move. Machines are moving your body for you your legs so you don't get blood clots. They're like shooting, you know, the blood thinners into your stomach. You're on the highest oxygen level that you can before you transition into life support. You know, they're doing everything they can to, to keep you going. The ICU doctor comes in and he says this, like this is word for word, like what he said to me. He said, uh, this is what he said, people like you don't survive. Oh, my! And then he says, you have two choices. You can die here on the table. He calls it a table. Hmm. You, can die, you can die here on the table, or we can put you on a ventilator, but it's not going to help. What do you want to do? Wow. He's saying, do you want to die now or later? <laughs> so... I just said no, like not because I'm in great faith. I just didn't like any of those choices. They didn't not seem like the right choices to me. Yeah. So then he says, "Are you saying I don't have permission to treat you?" Was his next statement. And then I, you know, I'm, I'm like, okay, legally I see what you're doing. Is I say, yes, you can treat me, but it's not going to go that far. You know, so in a way I say, yes, you can treat me, but no, Mm -hmm. I just did not want to say, yes, I was going to die. You know, like you're going to die now or later. Which one do you want? No, I do not. not, Nothing. I want none of that. So he just kind of leaves the room, calls my wife, tells him something a little bit better, her a little something better. He tells her. I have one less than 1% chance. Unbelievable. And then says that he has seen maybe one, maybe one or two people in my condition and all of COVID survive. So when I hear that I'm like, okay, so 1%, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> well, what god there is, you know. Yeah. So So meanwhile, so that's happening, right? So the hospital's making plans to transfer me to a different ICU. Um, There's so many, like, mini miracles that I won't go on and on. But the, the highlighted ones, I will say, it's, like, so unbelievably crazy how God rescued me here. You know, and... Someone I went to church with, her name's Jordan, she's a nurse. She used to work on the floor with the doctor that is in this ICU, but then works in a new floor that's in a life support floor. That's you know, she somehow finagles a transfer for me to get out of what I call Doctor Doom's ICU. Oh my and to be put in a floor where they're actually trying to make me live, you know, where they believe I could live. Yeah. So she fights to get me transferred. There's one spot open, and I don't even I don't even meet the criteria to be accepted into the program. I'm like so on the borderline, but she convinces the surgeon to let me in. Like all the beds are used up. Like this is crazy time, COVID. So they move me in. I get, it, I get accepted. Okay, so that's like the first miracle. The second miracle is a buddy of mine from Knoxville drives up to pray for me. He's like in full-time ministry kind of guy, younger guy, um, a little bit off the grid. He comes up to pray for me, doesn't know what hospital I'm in. He just knows I'm in St. Thomas, where there's like a million of them in Nashville. He gets to the third one. This is absolutely insane. Like, gets to the third one in a hallway. He says he sees a guy in a desk, no computer. And this guy asks him, how can I help you? And then this guy says, like, Justin, who's going to pray for me. He says, oh, well, I'm looking for Joshua Silverberg. And this guy, who is obviously an angel, says this, says, Okay, Joshua Silverberg, he's in this room number, uh, he's in this hospital location, and this is what you say to get in. Oh, my God. They're not letting my wife in. No one is getting into the ICU to visit me. Not a single person. So, first of all, no computer. How could you even look up the information and know? Second of all, highly illegal even if you had the computer <laughs> you do not give this information out yeah. like my wife can't get this information you either you either know yeah. it because you're on the inside or you don't yeah yeah and it's on another hospital that is insane dude so they tell him it's like star wars in real life they this is what this angel tells him to say to get in i'm supposed to be there oh My God. (laughs) So God does some Holy Ghost Jedi mind trick thing, (laughs) right? Like, which there is a story in the Bible where Jesus tells the disciples to get a horse for their journey, and they don't have one. And he tells the disciples, go to this place, take the horse, and tell them, like, it's okay because you're supposed to have this. Unbelievable. So— the Jedi mind trick thing is like totally taking, you know, first, Jesus did it first. So, yeah. yeah, it's so funny, but it feels like Star Wars. It's like, so he gets in, they let him in um, at the perfect time. The cot is ready for me to be transferred. They move me from the bed to a chair. So I'm upright The only, for just like five minutes. The only time he could have prayed for me where I'm not covered in wires like in a bed, like I'm on in this chair Mm -hmm. and he comes in. I have this on video, I have to get it. Um, And I start the video of him praying for me. It's just pointed to him and you hear like the oxygen machine, the beeps, and he starts praying. He just goes, okay, we're doing this, Joshua Silverberg, being healed, part one. And he just starts speaking life over me, prophesying that I'm going to live and not going to die. And they move me like, I don't think I'm healed. Like, mind you, I am only thinking about surviving. Yeah. So I'm in crazy pain. My fever is like 106.5 and higher. Like there's a million things why I'm dying right now. Um, Like there's concern just that my brain is okay because of the fever being so high. Yeah. Like my organs are shutting down, like. That's why the doctor said I'm not going to live, because it doesn't make sense that I would live. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, my in and out, like, to gauge, to make you understand, like, the in and out breath capacity that I have in this moment, it's like... <laughs> oh, my gosh. It Imagine if all you had in and out was so tiny. That you yes, yeah. I would make up like songs in my head of in and out just to try to get my oxygen number up. Yeah. So I would like to try to trick myself of being okay with what is happening, you know? So I'd be like two in, one out, one out, two in, I'd do games. It was hell. It was like being held hostage against Mm. your will. So he prays for me, puts they put me on the cot, transfer me to the ambulance, which is taking me to the ICU to be put on life support. In the ambulance, I give myself over, you know. So I like I pray this prayer. I'm like, God, this this does not seem like it's your will. It does not make sense. You know, like I have a young family. I have two amazing children that I want to see grow up. I have a business that I just started. You know, like all this stuff that I want to see that I feel like these are dreams God put in me to see I'm not done here. I'm not done as a family. I'm not done as a business. I'm not done at like ministry dreams God's put in my heart that I'm going to see like there. God, this does not seem like it's your time, but if if it is, let's do this. So I let go of it all. I'm like, I let go of my family. All the dreams, everything in this life, this world, I let go of it. I'm imagining giving Jesus a hug at this point. Mm -hmm. I'm just running up to Jesus. I'm like, let's do the hug. We're doing it. And when I do this, I have this, you know, what I call a near-death experience. You can, it's pretty, like you can watch them online. So my spirit doesn't leave my body, but I feel like I let go of this world. And I am like brought into this white room. You know, like I'm brought into this room where the thing that shocks me is like not the peace, the crazy peace, but the thing that is so shocking is the utter absence of worry. Mm. No anxiety, no worry. It's like I call like it's like the god consciousness the mind of god moved into the ambulance and our minds were one for one second and it is impossible for god to worry you know he is not worried he is not does not have anxiety he he makes no rash decisions yeah you know he's not moved by fear he's not intimidated like all those things that i battled with through my career that like Kept me from being what I wanted to do in my studio, you know, like with Brad Wood. I couldn't be myself. I was bondage to fear. All of that was absent, you know, like, and it got, I just reduced in that moment, I just reduced it to this thought like, if God isn't worried about me, he's not biting his nails like, is Josh going to make it or not? You know, if he's not worried about whatever happens, I'm not worried. In the same way like if you are on a shaky flight, you look they say look at the attendant. If they're not worried, you don't got to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Well, I look to the captain of the universe, better than a flight attendant. If he's not worried, if God is not worried, I'm not worried. Mm-hmm. You know, so the first miracle that happened was the supernatural grace like he somehow performed surgery on my brain and he took the ability of me to worry out. You know, like I was a kid, like a child. And what happened in its place, I started to laugh. So joy came and filled all the spaces of worry and anxiety. And I just started laughing. And then I opened my eyes and I looked at this oxygen number So I'm on a smaller oxygen machine, much smaller than, like, the the turbojets that they were pushing in me in the ICU in this ambulance, much smaller, and it read a normal number. And it made me laugh even more, not because I thought I was healed. I thought the machine was broken. (laughs) This is not a story of faith. This is a story of I don't know. Yeah. You know, so somebody decided to pray. A lot of people are praying, but man, that guy laid his hands on me. I needed that point of contact, release power of God in me. I can't explain it, nor will I try. But I looked at that, my oxygen stabilized. So when I got to where they were going to put me on life support, they said, "We're, we're going to watch you. We're going to watch you overnight. And then the nurses come in. They're still like they're looking at me like a victim like they're patting me like thinking it's my final days like i can tell this Mm. but i know because my oxygen stabilized i'm out of here you know so so a few minutes into that ambulance ride logic hit me and i'm like this machine's not broken like this is simple like you can put a $10 thing on Walmart on your finger and it reads this stuff. Like, this is not broken in ambulance. I am going to live. That's amazing. So, in six days, I'll try to wrap the end of this part up. In six days, my body is rapidly healing. So, I... Like, the pneumonia leaves. The spots in the organs are gone. Like, it does not make sense. Like, they... They're doing new scans and they're like, yeah, so you don't have spots on your or black spots. That's like places of the organs that are dying, you mm. know, the black spots. You don't have black spots and you don't have pneumonia. Um, we don't understand this. So, like, we've never seen this in all of COVID. Like, this has not happened. And we're reducing your oxygen and your breathing. So in six days, they released me. I don't need oxygen. I don't have any long term COVID stuff. And then over the next like three months, like my physical body's coming back because, like, like I would, when I got home, I would walk like 20 feet and then sleep for like three hours. You know, like I would walk like an old man, you know, like I atrophied in a lot of places. So, like, I would walk like an old man and then I would wake up and eat like a whole pizza and a hamburger. <laughs> and then go back to sleep. <laughs> um, and then I started walking more. I walked around the block and I came back like stronger than I've ever been. That's amazing. But it taught me a few things too, like the music side of this. When I got to the new ICU, I do want to give this part. I said I was going to get this short, but I'm actually giving all the details. It's okay, man. Um, I didn't want to partner with sickness, so I had at 5 in the morning when the nurses would come in to do all the needles and stuff, I would have them transfer me to the chair, out of the bed, into the chair, and then I would do everything I could to try to push up and like stand, and I would sing as much as I could the entire day. For whatever reason, I got stuck on this One Republic song, um, Rescue Me. Mm. And it would just ask the question, will you rescue me? You know, will you have my back? Will you have all this stuff? Like, I felt so rescued. I knew the answer was yes. Mm. So I would sing this, like, in tears. And the next day, singing again. the next day, I would be able to sing it more. Mm. You know, and then I'd be able to push up. I would be able to stand. I'd be able to support myself, you know. And then in six days, they're releasing me, you know. And they're just like... So I think there's also what i learned about truth and even miracles what i learned about this is it's not nece- always necessary like hollywood like instant like there's a progressive nature of the power of god working in your life yeah but it takes partnering with it you know and that's why the bible says i hold before you blessing and curse choose this day what will you what do you want yeah You know, and then there's all these verses like the power of life and death is in the tongue, and those that love it will eat of the fruit of this thing, meaning you will take it in and it will nurture you. And it's like a progressive thing. That's cool. You know, because we've heard about some people being healed of stuff instantly, and we just think that's the only way you can have true freedom from anxiety, depression. Injuries, whatever the healing miracle thing is that you're fighting for in your life, but it's actually a progressive nature to truth Mm -hmm. and to allow, open the door to God in your life. And I just think about like now I can totally worry like that, that gift of God was on me for about a month where I feel like that was like the grace. That was the huge miracle that allowed my body to heal is because God took that worry out. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then I think about Jesus saying, whoever is worried, come to me, I will give you rest, my burden is light. And he said, do not worry. Hmm. And he said, bring it to me. And what if the reason why we're not receiving from God, we think it's God's not seeing us, but what if because we're holding on to something that inhibits God moving in our life, like yeah. worry? Yeah. You know, and I'm not even saying this is a theology, I'm just saying, hey, maybe there's something here.
0: Yeah. That was unbelievably profound. And like, you made me freaking cry, dude. <laughs> like, it was a beautiful story. Like absolutely beautiful. Um Man, I I don't know how they even finished after that. I'm, I just want to know kind of future wise, man, what do you got going on? What what's what's the next chapter for Josh Silverberg?
1: well as you can imagine i'm highly motivated now i share my testimony everywhere like in the dmv to the uber guy if i got two minutes you're going to hear how how jesus saved me that's so cool and it's been cool to see that effect never had a bad effect and i've had people in tears overcome with the love of god just by sharing a simple testimony i was in the bank last week doing a normal bank thing shared this With the business bank guy he cries and he said you renewed my faith of god just sharing this with me it's beautiful you know so what i want to do is whatever so typical but i started a youtube channel called music and miracles um i haven't done hardly anything with it yet but i want to do stuff on it you know like just sharing Very similar to what you're doing, um, just where, where music and miracles combine and share stories, do interviews, whatever, maybe do some music, maybe teach on production, like just the merge of this, music and miracles. I love that idea. That's such an awesome idea. That's rad, dude. So I'll give you that, and then maybe whoever listens to this, if you can be so kind... And subscribe, because right now my daughter's 11-year-old, has more views on her stuff than I do <laughs> mine. I have like 15 subscribers, so it's like real early. <laughs> That's hysterical. That's hysterical. Um, You got any tours coming up or any,
0: anything? Uh, um, and I know you just went out with Brandon Lake, but anything else coming up in the future? Or?
1: Yeah, so mainly just watch. Like if you can follow me on socials, I'm doing more like, like hands- on helping people understand music and miracles, stuff, um, praying with people and teaching the supernatural in a non uh, I don't want to use the word charismatic, but what you what most people think charismatic way is, yeah. but just in a biblical way, because it's truth that sets us free, but there is a power of the spirit, yeah, you know, and it doesn't actually have to be weird. So, I just love teaching people how to operate and be in tune to hear God for themselves and to move in miracles. Um, and because of what happened, you can understand why I'm motivated. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> uh, it's like a mandate now, you know. So when Brandon asked me to go on tour, I was three months out of the ICU, and my wife looks at me like you have to go, hmm. like you can't just be healed. And, like, watch Netflix and be like, cool, guys, I got my healing. Like, Brandon asked me on tour to pray for people in his set, to That's come incredible. out, to share and to pray, you know? And I'm like, it felt dirty to say no. It felt like disgusting, like sin, like mm. like the worst ungrateful thing you could do to somebody. It felt like you have to go. You cannot get what you got. Yeah. Yeah someone asks you do you want to help people like do you want to give people hope in this way yes i do it's beautiful so i'm hoping that the future is filled with the same as i always been creative ways to work in this and then also i continue in tv film because i have producers and like we're doing on the, on the daily, I work with Nickelodeon. I like work with Paramount. I work with yeah. like all these people. So yeah, very cool.
0: Josh, this has been unbelievable, man. I really, really appreciate you taking time. I know you're busy, and uh, it's just been so nice to catch up and talk. And what a beautiful story, man. I really, really appreciate it. Cool. All right, brother. Well, hopefully we'll get to hang soon. And next time you're down this way, let me know. I would love to. Bro down hang Absolutely. out all right brother hey thank you to the listener for tuning in and thank you to josh silverberg what an incredible, incredible story and episode. Um, man, I did not see this one coming, and I don't mean that, wrong. I mean that in the best way possible. So thank you, Josh, uh, for letting me be a part of something uh, I'll never forget. Um, if you'd like to add me on Instagram and Facebook, at The Revision True Cast, if you'd like to like and subscribe, feel free. You know the drill. Um, Josh had a, a prayer at the end that uh, I recorded and I have added it to this episode. And if you'd like to, feel free to listen. If not, it doesn't bother me whatsoever. I just thought it was a powerful ending to this powerful episode. So feel free to listen if you'd like. And if not, I have some new episodes coming up soon. So again, thank you, listener. Thank you, Josh. And enjoy this prayer by Josh Silverberg.
1: So like I was talking about, like not partnering with stuff, what I found to be really powerful is to come out of agreement with the lie, come into agreement with the truth and verbally speak this. I've seen just people really get set free of stuff and even come off of like medication, like they've been so riddled with panic. But when you come out of agreement with this lie, you're really Killing the power of the lie over you. Sometimes it's purely natural, and sometimes there's a spiritual side to it. So let's just like just walk through this. So this is how I I would do this. So thank you, Holy Spirit, um, that you're here. Like obviously the power of God is here. While I was sharing the testimony, I just feel the presence of God so strong. Just like ministering to the people listening. Um, so we just invite everyone who's listening right now just into that room that room that the mind of god where there's no fear there's no anxiety there's no shame there's no condemnation there's no ridicule there's no darkness in god so i just want you just to repeat this if you want to give god something today if when i was speaking this is this put was put on your heart like oh I have this this is anxiety well actually the truth is that we do not have a spirit of fear God doesn't give us that we have a we have a spirit of love power and a sound mind but that means there is a spirit of fear and someone wants to give it to you so we want to come out of agreement with this stuff so right now we're going to start with anxiety so I want you just to repeat after me pray a prayer like this so we just pray this. I come out of agreement with anxiety. Anxiety, you have no hold over me. Anxiety, you will not intimidate me. And then just say this. I am I am not a home for anxiety. Pray Pray this with me, guys. I am not a home for fear. I am not a home for intimidation. And now let's come into agreement with truth. I am a a home for peace. I am a home for love. I am not a home for shame. Fear is not my future. Anxiety is not my identity. And now I come into agreement with truth. Christ is my identity. He gives me strength. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. Boldness is an attribute of my personality. Peace is an extension of my personality. So I'm just going to pray over you guys who have really just prayed and renounced this stuff. You came out of agreement with this. So now I'm going to pray in Jesus name. I just break the power of every bit of trauma, every abuse, every lie, every agreement to these lies. I break the power of it and any darkness or spirit that's trying to hold these guys hostage to this lie. So in the name of Jesus, I command it out. Fear, you have to leave. Anxiety, you have to go out of the mind. And I pray right now, blessing over mental health. In the name of Jesus, I even feel uh, like allergies lifting off of people's bodies. I feel like uh, anxiety, panic attacks leaving the mind. Even places that you feel addicted to substance, you don't have to go there. I thank you, Lord, that the love of Jesus right now, I feel it touching people that are listening to this, setting them free right now, because I see shame specifically alcohol. I see that you are covered in shame from from upbringing, from, from words spoken over you, from places of abuse in your life. And you've made agreements that this is a part of you. Actually today you realize, no, this is not your identity. Christ is your identity. You don't have to identify with abuse or torment. So I bless you in the name of Jesus to be set free, to be filled with the true love of Jesus Christ, acceptance, and to be empowered by this love. Where alcoholism, I see that breaking off. Addiction, I see that breaking off right now. So we're coming out of agreement with those. And in the name of Jesus, be free, be whole, be healed. And even places in the physical body that have been tormenting you, I say be free, be whole, be healed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.